Welcome back to Underage Packers episode 55. I'm one of your co-hosts, Joey. Uh, today, as always, joining me is Big B. How are you doing today, Big B? Playoff. First playoff episode of Underage Packers. Oh boy, I'm excited. Give a fine message to our audio listeners uh, without your, your little uh, kazoo entrance. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, I'm excited. Playoff. Excited to be here. Uh, great playoff. Joining us today to talk about the playoffs, Packers versus Rams, is uh, the DVOA king. Now, I'm sure a lot of our, our viewers from Cheesehead TV, you know, they might have a bad image of him, but it's Peter Bukowski. How are you doing, Peter? I'm good, guys. How are you? Doing good. You know, I think, look, we'll talk a little bit about DVA because I think, or, or just like the advanced analytics, because, you know, DVOA to me will always mean dorks value, dorks value only analytics. Uh, but, you know, that's just because I think there's uh, what Corey Banky thinks you are is kind of my perception of what a lot of your listeners are, I think. And that's not an old insult to your fans, because I think there's two ways you can be diehard. <laughs> they are the fans that want to know how and why, you know, as, you know, your introduction implies. Uh, and then there's people, you know, that, right. you know, uh, not that they don't care about analytics or anything, but, you know, they... Uh, they, they just want to be are, fans. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's different ways to be fans, uh, as Corey Banky would always say as well. So uh, let's talk about uh, Packers for fans. Let's get to actual football here. Um, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think after what Los Angeles did to Seattle last week, it was kind of came to a shock to all of us, and we were looking at it now. We're like, uh, I think we were underestimating the Rams last week um, and having a bad taste in our mouth, especially after the last few weeks uh, losing to the Jets. <laughs> having a terrible performance in Seattle. And then they have a great defensive performance in Seattle for the wild card round. And uh, now they're coming to Lambeau field. I think uh, there there's a lot of scary things being built up on Twitter this week. Big B, what do you think um, of all this, this Jalen Ramsey drama, the Aaron Donald drama? Uh, do you think they're this Rams defense being overhyped? Um, do you think people are, or in people are underestimating some, points of the Packers yikes a lot to unfold there but I I feel like I feel like the Rams defense is legit like it yeah. is a great defense but people on Twitter are just overreacting I feel like just a little bit you know? I, I think a lot of it with the Jalen Ramsey especially it's yeah. So much of, uh, you know, the game is a lot more complex with Jalen Ramsey. Devontae, it's not going to be Jalen Ramsey shadowing Devontae Adams the whole game, you know, especially with Devontae Adams and the Packers offense. He's going to be moved around a lot. Um, Peter, what do you think is, because I think there's one situation in my mind where I think the Rams could, by the first quarter, pretty much have this game in the books. Um, what do you think is the scariest thing uh, with how the Rams match up with the Packers. Well, for all, I, I just want to know um, what cave Big B is recording in. It's very, very dark. I'm, I'm just confused. Um, I'm wearing Upper Michigan. No, uh, <laughs> it's always they only see sun in, in the UP like three hours a day right now. So I understand why it's so dark there right now. Um, the, the the thing about this, and, and you pointed it out, look, we have spent a lot of time and, and the national media has spent a lot of time, not to go, you know, I'll turn on you or anything, but they've spent a lot of time talking about Jalen Ramsey yep. and Aaron Donald. 
And of course, those are guys who can wreck your game on their own. What I think is more concerning from a, a defensive standpoint with the Packers is just what Brandon Staley can do as a coordinator, the looks that he can get you in and, and the way that he can play mind games. You don't know. You know, I said this in a piece I wrote for Acme Packing Company, shameless plug, that this defense, they're con men because they, they make they show you something and then they do this other thing. They make you believe something and then they make you wrong for believing that thing. And that's what I think when you can when you can get Aaron Rodgers second guessing what he's seeing, that's when I think you have a chance to slow down this offense. And it's really the only way that either you you make them see ghosts like he did a little bit against Tampa or you really have to play with what he's seeing pre-snap and post-snap. I think, uh, you know, Brandon Saley has obviously been another name that's been brought up a lot lately and had coaching talks this week going up against the Packers. Uh, I, I looked on his Wikipedia page. Big D knows I always have to do that for my coaching connection research. Um, and, and, you know, he wasn't – he had a pretty big jump from a pretty small school uh, to being the outside linebackers coach with the Broncos, I believe. Uh, can educate us a little bit on what is that Vic Fangio defense exactly? Uh, and what does Brandon Saley do well with that? So the good news for the Packers is that they've seen Vic Fangio's defense. You go back to the early 2010s, those 49ers teams that the Packers couldn't beat. It wasn't because Vic Fangio was locking down Rodgers every time, although that was certainly part of it. It was, they, they couldn't tackle Colin Kaepernick. That was, that was a big yeah. problem. When, when Fangio got to Chicago, he didn't have the same sort of horses, didn't have the same sort of cover guys, and didn't have the same sort of pass rushers. Look at how that defense changed when they got Khalil Mack. So what they do is they're always going to show you pre-snap two high safeties. Mm-hmm. So Packer fans, when you watch the game, you will see those two safeties back 85 9% of the time. But they're not going to that too high coverage every time they're almost always in zone but back side Jalen Ramsey could be in man coverage especially if you know the Packers love to go trips right so you put on one side of the field you put Devontae Adams on the other side of the field you might have Jalen Ramsey in man coverage on that side and you might have zone the rest of the field that makes things really complicated for a quarterback it makes things complicated for the offensive line they don't they don't blitz a lot because they don't have to Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, those guys are good enough. They play a lot of light boxes. Well, what do you do against light boxes? You run the ball. Well, they're um, one of the best run defenses in football. In fact, by DVOA, oh boy. third in, in run defense. They're a really good run defense. They're basically, Zach Cruz on Twitter the, uh, the other day, they're defensively what Mike Patton would like to be because they can play in sub package the entire game, still stop the run, and – because they can get after you and because they're so disciplined in the back end, they can just be who they are and not have to worry about you being who you are. Yeah. The rum defense is scary. And especially because, you know, with Jalen Ramsey, with the star corner there, uh, you, you know, I don't think Devontae is going to be completely locked down, but you're going to have to have your other options and you're going to have to get your run game going. So if the Rams are able to contain Aaron Jones, have an answer for uh, the go Jamal Williams or AJ Dillon, um, then you, the Packers offense might be experiencing some problems. Well, I don't think it's hard to take advantage of that. But uh, the Rams on offense, I think the main point of their run game or their offense is going to be the run game with Cam Akers. Uh, what would your comparison be? Because Cam Akers is pretty new running back on the scene. 
Um, I, I mean, he's had some great performances, 170 yards uh, against New England. Uh, what would a pro comparison be to a running back the Packers faced earlier this season, Peter? Well, I, Cam Akers was someone that I that I really liked coming out of um, Florida State. He was a running back that I felt like didn't get enough credit for the skills that he had. His ability to cuts and and be explosive is something that I thought really would have fit well um, in his Packers offense, and and I was a little surprised. Um, you know, that that was not a, a player that they were a little bit more interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, I, I, it's tough because I, I, I struggle with the comp thing. It, it is so hard to take traits and project for, it's just a rookie. Yeah. Um, when I, when I did his, um, draft, uh, evaluation, I take notes on all these guys. I actually was just looking for it and I didn't even put a comp in cause I just sort of, I struggled with it. Um, but, but the first line of my write-up is if Cam Akers becomes the best running back in this class, no one should be surprised. Wow. The, the, the combination of physical tools is, is really sensational. The problem is this year, he just hasn't been healthy. And now that he has been healthy over the last month, he's getting 15, 20 carries, um, averaged almost five yards a carry against the Seahawks in the wild card round. He's, he's really a talented back. And, you know, I, I think as a one cut runner in this outside zone, it's exactly what you want. It's exactly the kind of player who is just tailor made for this offense. It's why I, I thought, um, you know, the Packers would be interested in him. And, and, and he wasn't even 21 when they drafted him. So there's still a lot of room to grow here for a guy who is already um, a really good athlete. Um, and, and so he's, 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 you know, Zedaria Smith, I think it was two days ago they did a, or the zoom call yesterday with the Smith brothers area said, we haven't even really talked about rushing the passer. They're really focused on stopping cam makers and, and making sure that this run game is why they lose on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I would not love uh, another playoff run to be damaged by a great running back. Um, But uh, yeah, I think like I mentioned earlier, the first quarter of this game, I think is going to tell us a lot. Are the Rams able to get that run game going? Are the Packers still able to function on offense, even with the Rams defense going up against them? Uh, And I think it will tell us a lot. Um, And hopefully they're able to put it into cam cam makers pretty quickly. Um, but Bigby, what are you looking to see from the Packers in the first few drives of this game to show, you know, I, I don't expect it to be a blowout, but you feel pretty confident that they'll get away with a win. All right. Well, I'm pretty confident. So mm-hmm. I would expect a couple touchdown drives in, mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning of the game, get, yep. get at least one stop on defense. <laughs> I'm pretty confident for with our defense, but at least one stop and maybe the first yeah. three drives. I don't know. Hold them to a field goal, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would love to see, uh, like you mentioned, just a touchdown on the opening drive. Um, you know, that'd be great. You know, they've been able to do that so well so far this year. And then, uh, like, I don't see any threat on the Rams offense outside of Cam Akers. So if they can, you know, like I said, get better at that, get uh, – turn uh, game makers down early get off to that fast start so they're pretty much daring jared goff to beat them come the second quarter um peter what would you like to see from this packers team in the first few drives i mean start fast and and that's always one of those silly things 
Mm-hmm. And say, oh, this, you know, the coach told us we really want to start fast in this game. The, the next time you hear an announcer say, coach told us we really want to get off to a slow start, um, you let me know. That's just, it's, it's not sparkling analysis to say that they need to start fast, I don't think. But when you're talking about things you want to see, the Packers can go down 10 nothing in this game and I think be okay. Yeah. If the Rams go down 10 nothing, that's a real problem for LA because Jared Goff, you know, everyone's favorite pirate, Four Finger Jared, is not going to be particularly effective in the. Apparently, he's going to wear two gloves. He was practicing LA with the two gloves. Um, you know, I, Jared Two Gloves doesn't have the same sort of to it that Teddy Two Gloves does. Um, but, you know, the, uh, their ability to pry off and force him to make mistakes is going to be, I think, what separates them in this game. I think they're going to be able to score points. I think Green Bay is going to get to 24 points. Mm-hmm. Can the Ram? Yeah. And they won some games late in the season where they haven't had to get to 24 or 27 points. I, I think Green Bay is going to have a good game plan here. I think you're going to see those five-man fronts that we saw against Tennessee, that we saw against San Francisco. And even if they play a 5-1 with Barnes behind the three diamond men and the two outside linebackers, I think it's going to be really hard for the Rams to find space. And, and so that, I think, all of the, the discussion that we're, we've had about the Rams defense, I think the difference in this game to me is going to be the, the Packers' ability to get stops here. Mm-hmm. This could be a game where the Rams struggle to get to, to 17 or 20 points. Yeah, I, you know, so the, the Rams, they had, a, they had a good finish outside of uh, against the Jets. And I asked Matt Tracksuit Schneidman um, uh, in his head, head of the pack Q&A what the, Ram, what the Jets did well against the Rams. He didn't answer me. Um, so, Peter, tell us, what did the Jets do well against the Rams? <laughs> uh, they, they took what the defense allowed them to take. Mm-hmm. And, again, that seems simplistic. But when you when you are playing that two shell, you're not going to be able to hit throws down the field. And so if you bang your head against the wall, trying to always look for those deep shots, this has to be a game where Aaron Rodgers is willing to say, I can take the RPO here because we have an advantageous look. And if it's four yards, it's an extension of our run game. And that's good. And maybe Devontae Adams breaks a tackle and it's seven or it's 12. Can, can you hit those slants and those crossing routes underneath and not feel like you have to push the ball down the field. That's what Sam Darnold did. Everything mm-hmm. was underneath. I mean, Dusty Evely wrote a great piece for Cheesehead TV where he looked at that, that uh, Jets game and you look at the passing distribution. I mean, everything is in that first 10 yard window yeah. and that was enough. They still got to three points. They, they hit a touchdown on a, on a little running back swing route where they cleared out the left side in that against that zone coverage. And you got the running wide open on the sideline. It's 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 not complicated football, but the Rams execute so well that you have to you have to have good designs on offense too, and and a lot of it is just going to have to be look. Let's put the three by one on one, put Adams and Ramsey on the other side, and see if Adams can win that matchup. I think they can't be afraid to go away from that, and and give yourself a chance to to let Devonte you know win against Rams. This can't be what McCarthy used to do against Richard Sherman and just send, send someone out there to be the sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. You can't do that because you're, you're eliminating one side of the field then. So you have to, you have to be willing to, to be multifaceted in that way. And, and, and the jets who don't have a lot of playmakers mm-hmm. were able to take enough of that underneath stuff because that's what's there. 
taking that the, into uh, taking that information into consideration, Big B. Uh, MVS probably even if his cornerback matchup isn't too well with those two high safeties. Uh, I mean his his bread and butter brother isn't going to be there as much uh, on those deep shots. Is there a wide receiver that you think uh, can absolutely step up in those situations? Um, or is it someone coming out of the backfield that you think will have a big game in the receiving department this week? Well, you gave me the opportunity to shout out Jamal Williams out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. All right, man got some hands, but if we're saying wide receivers, I'm going to say Alan Lazard. All right. He's been quiet since mm-hmm. his injury. I'd love to have a big Alan Lazard game. I would love it too. just take those slants all day. Take, uh, you know, let's maybe take a, not take a note out of uh, Seattle's book and throw a wide receiver screen. But, um, other than that, I would completely love to see um, Tanya and Lazard eat. Um, let's end it off here with our key matchups. Outside of uh, pro- the popular answers of Jalen Ramsey, Devontae Adams, Aaron Donald, and Corey Lindsley, uh, Peter, what is your key matchup for this game? How about Kenny Clark against the interior of the LA Rams offense? Because we know Andrew Whitworth is is a really good player. He is going to be able to, especially against Preston Smith, win that matchup pretty consistently. But the interior of that offensive line has some vulnerabilities. And so if Kenny Clark can start, he's been playing really good football here the last six, Absolutely. eight weeks. And and he said as much, you know, early early December, he said, look, I'm, I'm frustrated with how I, we've been winning a lot, but I'm frustrated with how I'm playing. And since then, he's played pissed off. So I think if, if he if he can not just stop the run inside, but then get an interior pass rush, that's going to be death for, for the Rams because so much of what they want to do is attack the middle of the field. And if you have that pass rush coming up right in your face, that's where you're going to pressure Goff into bad situations. He sails passes. There's 26 in green taking the ball the other way. And, and I, I think that gives Green Bay a, a lot of, of um, advantageous situations that they can be in. Peter, you're going to make me uh, go into a Madden franchise and give Darnell Savage five picks in this game. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, the pass rush was a big part uh, and last year in the divisional round against Seattle. Um, and hopefully Kenny Clark can be another part of that with uh, Zedarius and maybe Preston Smith has a 2019-like performance. Big B, what is your key matchup for this game? I'm going to go with the real best corner in the game, Jair Alexander versus whoever he's covering. I don't know. I'm not that smart. I don't know who's covering who, but I'm. We'll say Robert Woods, because why not, right? Is that well, either him or Cooper Cup? I'm gonna go uh, with the guy on the opposite side of the field of him, Ken, uh, Kevin Keene. Um, if Jair, I, I have no doubt that Jair Alexander will handle his business, but don't let uh, Kevin Keene be taken advantage of. Um, and hopefully, we can assure that defense and hold the Rams to less than ten points. Uh, final score predictions, and then we'll let you go, Peter. Uh, Big B, let's hear it. 31-24, Packers win. I'm surprised you even think the Rams are going to score that many points. Uh, Peter, what's your final score prediction? Uh, that's going to be a much more exciting game than what I'm predicting. I hope it is much more like that than, than what I'm looking at. I'm thinking it's more like uh, like 21-17, something like that. I think the Packers win, but I think the Rams cover. I think six and a half points is is too many. Um, 
and a lot of your listeners are probably not old enough to gamble, so don't worry about it, but um, that's okay. <laughs> I think well, it's going to be a relatively close game and a low-scoring game. I hope my I, my brother is a big gambler, though, and he's one of our biggest fans, so you know, uh, we'll make sure. I'll, uh, my final score prediction will go with uh, it's kind of that same area, 24 13 Packers get the win earlier in the week. I wasn't feeling too confident, but you know, you listen to some Packers podcasts. It might not to be too insightful, but they get you hyped up anyways. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to part one of our interview. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for your time. Welcome back to Underage Packers. That was a great interview uh, with Peter Bukowski, Mr. DVOA. Uh, joining us now though is uh, another very special guest. It's Andy Herman. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing. I think you could argue a more special guest, actually, even than Peter Bukowski. I think. I think most would make that argument. Actually, we won't. We won't get too much into that. Uh, we won't tiptoe on that line. Uh, you know, I am a little bit disappointed uh, with your attire. I mean, can we? Do you have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle set around? I don't. I think it's upstairs. I apologize. I, really usually, it's, usually it's by me, but I don't see it. I think it's upstairs. Save it for game day. Save it for the game day look. Smart uh, move. Oh, by the way, did you figure out what you're what you're wearing? Jersey sweatshirt? Yeah. What did you decide? So, you know, I was gonna go with the James Jones, the James Jones look. You know, the jersey over the hoodie. But I, I decided maybe that might even be too much. Not gonna upset the football gods. Um, I'll wear I'll wear uh, my jersey on Victory Sunday though. Okay, yeah, I think I think James Jones hoodie over sweatshirt. That's like NFC Championship game type stuff. I think exactly. I think you bring that out for that. That's got to be a, like a big occasion. Yeah, you know you can't experience too much in the playoffs. Um, I mean, maybe do you do you know? I mean, do you got the lucky stuff down? Do you have your superstitions ready? I don't. I, you know, as time has gone on, I've kind of like that stuff has kind of gone away a little bit more. It's it's been, you know, obviously I'm still a fan. I'm you know nobody's gonna you know confuse me otherwise, but. Like it's, it's a little bit tougher to kind of just turn the analyst brain off uh, during some of it, but um, no, I don't have anything lucky or superstitious um, other than, you know, I like my joke growing up was that like, I couldn't like drink during the game or like be you know impacted in any way because I had to coach the team. So like, that was my joke, like growing up when I was like in you know college and stuff. So other than that, no, nothing major. Yeah. You know, I mean, 2018, the, the bears game, I sat in the whole, I sat in the same position for the whole second half, you know, one second, I moved my leg the wrong way and Kyle (laughs) drops the interception. So I wasn't risking it after that, but uh, big B, what what do you got on uh, for a game day? Well, I usually just have a sweatshirt on and then my Jersey over it, James Jones style, but I usually take off the sweatshirt midway through because I'm so hot and sweating because I'm jumping around and stuff. Exactly. My basement is extremely cold, so I don't have to worry about that. But uh, let's get to some actual football talk here today with Andy. We want to talk about, uh, you know, focusing a lot lately, uh, at least me, uh, just when we get into January here, all my lifetime, all of mine and Big B's lifetime, if the Packers aren't playing in January, something extremely wrong is going on. and really even in nannies, I'm not going to age you too much there. Um, but, you know, in 2017 and 2018, it was the first time the Packers had missed the playoffs for two consecutive years in quite a while there. Um, and they made a lot of changes in that in that span from 2018 to 2019 and now 2020. Um, and Brian Gutekind stepped in for Ted Thompson, Matt LaFleur in for Mike McCarthy. Uh, and they really completely 
change not only the roster of this team, but the vibe, uh, the feeling, and the type of players they had on this team. Uh, Andy, what would you, when you're looking at this, what would um, how what would you say is Brian Gudikin's philosophy that helped him uh, make all these moves that got the Packers to this great place? Yeah, it's a really great question. You know, just going back a little bit before what you said about, you know, your entire life. It's, I mean, I think all three of us are right around the same age. So I think I think we all have pretty much the same experiences. So yeah. um, outside of that, um, you know, I, I think what he's done has been fantastic. So I think, first of all, when you're a GM, the first thing you want to do is have a culture. What What is your vision and what is your culture for the team? And I think that's been insanely apparent with basically every move that they've made. And I think that goes up to Mark Murphy as well, but, you know, from hiring Brad Gutekunst to GM and then them combined signing, you know, or hiring Matt LaFleur as head coach, who I think it shares a very similar type of vision, but it's also in getting guys like, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, who, while they're great on the field, have also made a huge impact in that locker room as well. Um, it's, you know, bringing in guys like a Jared Valdir, a veteran presence at times, a Mercedes Lewis, who has had a ridiculous, um, you know, impact on that tight end group and in that locker room. So it starts with that vision and that philosophy and having something that you want to have as the core of your team. And I think this is a team with Adrian Amos, another example of that, right? Like it's, it's made up of great individuals who um, can build build up a locker room, build up a program. And all you need to do is read Robert Tunyon's article that he wrote this week. And you get just this picturesque view of what it means to be a Green Bay Packer right now. That that starts that, that starts with a vision for Brian Gutekunst, but that goes back to Ron Wolf and Ted Thompson and bringing in Packer people and, and all that sort of thing. He's, you know, he's just kind of expounding upon that, but then is it, it goes above and beyond that too, because you know, it's great to have great people, but ultimately you're judged on winning football games, right? So you can have a bunch of Mother Teresa's and go 0-16 and, and it's not going to mean a whole hell of a lot. So I think the fact that he's been able to establish talent and he's done it in a way that's been obviously the antithesis of what Ted Thompson has. I guess maybe that's the wrong way to say it because he's taken that core philosophy of Ted Thompson of draft and develop, and he's made that the lifeblood of the roster. That is ultimately going to be what this team is built up upon is, is the, the draft and develop philosophy. But what Ted Thompson's errors later in his career was ignoring all the other avenues. He did a great job of it, whether it be with Ryan Pickett, with Charles Woodson and those type of players early in his career, but then he got away from it and just went solely draft and develop. And you're, you're at a day and age where, you know, draft and develop is great and it works well, but you're going to miss on players. I don't care how good of a GM you are. You're going to miss on players and there's eventually going to be some holes on your roster. And you have to be able to say, you know what, we need to supplement that and make sure that we fill those gaps in the, in the meantime with players who can play now so that we can continue this draft and develop philosophy and don't have to draft for need because need is a terrible evaluator of talent. God, I'm, I'm just going to like, whenever someone tells me the 2020 draft is terrible, I'm just going to clip that like two minute segment right there and send that to them <laughs> because I, the DIC, as Corey Banky would call it, the draft industrial complex, you know, it's not built for uh, patience. It's not built for um, being patient about Rashawn Gary. It's not being patient um, for not signing Antonio Brown, not going out there and signing wide receiver and, and instead of putting faith in, uh, Marquez Valdez, Gantling, and Alan Lazard. Um, Big B, what is your, because uh, there's been a lot of players that have had a kind of a breakout this year, this year. Uh, what is your biggest surprise, uh, surprise player that took some time to develop, but really came out to play and showed out his full potential this year? 
All right. I'm going to say Robert Tunyon because I think I had him as a surprise cut before the season, you right? Did. I Yeah. If I remember also, correctly. You know what you also said in April? You said that Jake Hansen was going to overtake Corey Lindsley. So, hey. I'm not going to go always got receipts, Joey's got receipts. I, I sure did. I, I watched our episode after the draft um, last night, but uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, talking with Brian Gudikins. Now, like, this is just a vision I have in my head, but, and I mean, even if they don't end up winning the Super Bowl, you get the same idea. If the Packers end up winning the Super Bowl, a lot of people that hated on uh, the 2020 draft class early on will still hate on it. But to me, if they end up winning the Super Bowl, this draft class looks all that much better. Uh, Andy, what would you say the Packers winning the Super Bowl and Rodgers presumably winning the MVP? Uh, what would that add to the painting of the 2020 draft class for the Packers? I mean, there's very few GMs who can, you know, have their cake and eat it too. Like being able to establish a roster that can win a Super Bowl in the same season that you potentially draft your future quarterback, like that, that, that just doesn't happen. So like, that's, that's the dream. If you're an NFL GM now, I guarantee you, and Brian Gutekunst will never, ever say anything like this, but I guarantee you that there is some level of nervousness at this point of time of like, just in general, like he knows he has a phenomenal team right now. Right. And he knows that they have a chance to win a Super Bowl, and arguably, and if, especially if you look at like the twenty picks that happened immediately after Jordan Love, you can make a strong argument that any of those twenty guys is not going to make the difference between the Packers winning a Super Bowl this year and not. But like, just as a, a normal human being, the normal reaction that you're going to go through is, is there could I have done one more thing to get one more player? Could I've done you know? So the, I guarantee you, there is some level, even if it's way beyond the surface, it, there's some level of like nervousness of. Maybe, maybe I should have gone just a tad bit more all in because this team is freaking amazing. And now we can go out and win a Super Bowl and, and so on and so forth. But, but if he gets, if they get through this and they win a Super Bowl and you basically drafted a team for the future um, in this entire draft class, which is what they normally do most years, whether they win a Super Bowl or not, but it's, it's just the icing on the cake for everything. And I mean, teams will be livid in the fact that Green Bay won a Super Bowl and, and drafted a, a first round quarterback to potentially replace Aaron Rodgers in the same year. That's, that's, that's the stuff that GM dreams are made of. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I don't think anybody expected um, the pack Aaron Rodgers to have an MVP year. Um, I don't think anybody expected Matt Lafleur two years ago to come in here and go thirteen and three in his first two seasons. And the thing that Matt Lafleur never gets credit for, he always, you know, he has the tarnish of well, you have Aaron Rodgers, so you don't get Coach of the Year consideration, uh, which really doesn't matter. I mean, if he's going to go thirteen and three and doesn't win the Coach of the Year a single time, who cares really? Um, but it's also like the Packers went six, nine and one with Aaron Rodgers. Sure. He was injured, uh, which we found out near the end of the year. Um, but it, he obviously changed something in that offense. He brought a new, brought a new juice, brought some new innovation uh, along with Nathaniel Hackett, which actually yesterday was a two year anniversary of the hiring of Nathaniel Hackett. Um, but big B let's switch gears here to Matt LeFleur. Um, you know, you can't, already has enough been said about what he's done in his first two years but what do you think was the key what was more important really for Aaron Rodgers to get to that MVP level was it more of uh, Aaron Rodgers getting back to the fundamentals was it just Matt LaFleur's QB easy system 
what was the biggest thing that helped propel, propel riders to that level? Well, I really, I really think it goes back to like this off season when they were on zoom, dissecting the playbook all yeah. the time in the world to do it. I feel like that is the key. And I think I've said that many times too. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to this off season, not, not to get political about Jordan Love here. Um, but, you know, I think the idea that Jordan Love gave Aaron Rodgers a chip on his shoulder because he supposedly felt the Packers were doubting him. I don't think that's the case. But I think the fact that Aaron Rodgers realized he might not be here till he's 42, like a Drew Brees story, he focused more. He, uh, not that he didn't have that before, but he realized that this isn't forever and that his time might be shorter than he expected it to be. Um, Andy, what would you say, not getting too much X and O, but what would you say was the most important part of propelling Rodgers to this level? You know, it's really interesting. I was talking about this with, with Ben Fennell as well on, um, on pack a day for, for Friday's episode. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it took, uh, actually, no, I lied. I took, I talked about it on our radio show. I apologize, but I talked about how there's a tremendous amount of compromise that took place both with Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, And we have seen in the past, let's just take Josh McDaniels going to Denver, for example, where Josh McDaniels goes to Denver and he says, listen, we're running my system. I'm here for a reason. They hired me as a coach. We're running my system. And that's the way things are going to be. And quickly, you saw things fractured. Jay Cutler was traded uh, to the Bears, I believe, a season later. They drafted Tim Tebow. Josh McDaniels was out before you know it. And it's it takes a lot for a head coach, especially a young coach who's never been a head coach before, to come in and say, you know what? I do want to run some things on my offense. You know, we're, we're, we're definitely going to run some things, but Aaron, what do you feel comfortable with? What, what, what things from your offense in the past would you like to run and that you feel comfortable with? And then what things in my offense, you know, that I want to do, do you feel comfortable with running and meeting Aaron halfway there? You can only imagine if Matt LaFleur comes in and says, here's my offense. This is what we're doing to Aaron Rodgers. That's going to be, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not going to work, right. And it, it, it's going to be a slap in the face to him in some capacity. So the fact that, LaFleur came in and, and bent halfway and said, what do you feel comfortable with? Let's do things that you like and, and let's meet halfway. That was huge. And then this offseason, to Big B's point, Aaron met him the other half of the way. He said, you know what? And at least this is what seems. Obviously, I'm not in the in the room hearing the conversations, but it seems to the effect of that Rogers was basically like, you know what? We we did some stuff last year. Some of it, you know, worked. We carried some stuff over. Let's go to your offense. And it sounds like Nathaniel Hackett, Aaron Rodgers, Luke Getze, and Matt LaFleur all got together, narrowed it down, and credit now to Aaron Rodgers for going the 50% the other way and saying, you know what? You're the coach. Let's run your stuff. And I think that communication. And I think LaFleur initially meeting them halfway is really what set up that entire relationship for success. And I think when Rogers started to see some of the stuff that LaFleur ran a season to go and see some of it come to fruition, I think he bought trust in Matt LaFleur and bought into that offense hook, line and sinker. And now we've been able to see what is this gorgeous Matt LaFleur offense that combines so many concepts of Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and Nathaniel Hackett. And even some of the stuff that Rogers has worked in the past with Mike McCarthy, all of it together, but as a core concept that they, they focus on and now everything works in unison and in harmony with one another, boom, magic, MVP, 13 and three, number one seed opportunity to go to a Super Bowl If they play well, what more can you ask for? Love it. I think that's the benefit 
the benefit you get with the young coach instead of, uh, you know, going the traditional route of getting an older experienced guy. And that's kind of been the trend we've seen a lot in the NFL lately. I mean, out of the recent head coaches that got hired, I don't think there's one even in this process, the carousel, that's a older one that has ever had a head coaching job before. Uh, Urban w- Meyer would be the only one, I think. Yeah, for, at a college level, right? Yep. So, you know, there's that's the trend. And you mentioned Sean McVay. He's facing him this week. So let's talk a little bit about that game uh, tomorrow. So uh, like I talked about earlier, uh, and as my, my tweets uh, put out there, that I, w- I wasn't feeling too confident. This is how I always am at the start of the week when I find out, you know, especially when we're just finding out our opponent, um, like that that Sunday. So, you know, I get really nervous on Monday. Wednesday, I play my first Madden game against them. I listen to Packers transplants. I listen to these podcasts. And then I finally just calm. Whatever happens, happens. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are on our side. And I feel good about this game. Um, Andy, I guess what is, you know, even with all the matchups that are in the Packers' favor, there's still going to be the boogeyman built up about Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. What is the one sign you see that really no one is talking about that the Packers can really take advantage of against the Rams? I mean, it's just the Rams offense. I mean, I don't think enough people are talking about, I mean, Troy Aikman, and maybe Aikman was just overselling it and being hyperbolic, but uh, Troy Aikman was basically selling it. Like they may have gone with John Wolford as their starter, even if golf was hundred percent healthy, right? Like that's a major development that this dude who was out of the NFL has potentially taken over as the number one quarterback for the Rams, because they don't trust Jared Goff running this offense anymore. Like, listen, Green Bay can lose this game, right? There's no two ways about it. They can, but if you had to handpick one of the eight teams left that you had to play, you were picking the Rams. Um, And if you had to handpick a quarterback that's left, you're handpicking Jared Goff. Like there's no two ways around it. So yeah, the the Rams can do some darn good things on defense and they are uh, obviously number one for a reason, but I feel very confident about the Packers defense going up against this Rams offense, that they're going to be able to hold them, potentially get some turnovers to help that and aid the offense a little bit. And I still think green Bay puts up, mm-hmm. I don't know, 24 at, at minimum. I mean, 24 would seem like, yeah. like the, 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 the floor for this game. So, and I'm not sure LA can get there. I, mm-hmm. I, I really am not. So um, yeah. I, I just, lo- I really like this matchup. I'm Joey talking to you guys is, is like talking to me from like 10 years or probably like, I don't know, 15 years ago. Now I forget how old I am, but, um, like that, you know, I would do the same thing, you know, simulated in Madden or played in Madden and, um, yep. you know, go through kind of that same similar process. But, um, again, there, there's no way, two ways about it. The Rams can win this game if they play well, but I always look at it from the, mm-hmm. this picture who has more outs. And what I mean by that is, you know, kind of think of a, you know, a poker, no limit, hold them. You always want as many outs as you possibly can. You want to give yourself those outs. And the Rams to me have to play a near perfect game. And if they play awesome on defense and shut down Devonte Adams and don't turn the ball over and Jared Goff has his best game and they run the football well, and they play good spec, like if they do all of that, then yeah, they could beat green Bay. But if the Rams miss on any of those, or if they have turnovers, I don't think they can overcome that on the flip side for green Bay. I think they have a little bit more room for error. If they have a turnover and, or maybe lose the turnover battle by one, Mm -hmm. or maybe give up an explosive play to a Cooper cup or a Reynolds or someone like that. I think they can overcome that. Whereas I don't think the Rams can, I just think, I think green Bay can play a B to B plus game and still win this. And I think it takes an A plus game for the Rams to win. Yeah. I really think this game is going to come down to, like you mentioned the turnover battle, but also uh, the field the and the possession where your uh, field possession there, 
Um, if the Packers are getting the ball consistently pretty pretty backed up, it's gonna they're gonna struggle getting 70 yards uh, drive in and drive out against even the Rams defense. Um, but you know, if the Rams are in that situation, who knows if they even are able to put 10 points on the board? Um, Big B, what do you think the Packers? Because you know they on defensive side of things, they just got to put it into cam makers and hopefully they can do the same thing that they did against Tennessee. They did against Chicago. They put up a fast lead. They get it out to a fast start where they aren't able to rely on that running game to win them the game. Um, what do you think the Packers have to do uh, really well in this game to be able to beat the, uh, beat the Rams? Well, just play offense. I mean, <laughs> really, just play offense, do do what you've been doing all season long. Mm-hmm. Got Jamal Williams, so that's already a dub. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every anytime you have a literal animal, a goat on your side, I don't, I don't think there's any chance of you losing. Um, <laughs> well, I guess let's end it off here with uh, let's go with let's pull one out of the bag, uh, and we'll go with uh, bold predictions. Andy, is it a Adrian Amos turnover? Is it a Damon Harrison? Pick six, I'll uh, BJ Raji. What is your bold prediction for this game? I'm going to go out on a limb and say Dean Lowry makes a big impactful play in this game. So I don't know why, other than the fact that if you go back and watch the last few seasons of Dean Lowry, uh-huh. he usually has one or two really good games a year, just out of nowhere for no exactly. apparent reason where he makes a couple big plays and he has a huge grade and like everything looks amazing. You're like, where the hell has that been forever? And uh, he hasn't had one of those games yet. So I think Dean, you know, knowing the wise man that he is, I think he's saving his best for this playoff run. And in all seriousness, you know, he really struggled at the beginning of this season, but Mm. I think he's been playing much better over the course of the last month, month and a half ish. So um, maybe it hasn't been great. Maybe he doesn't make that impact play, but he's been playing better. And I think he comes up with an impact play in this game. I'm crossing my fingers and uh, hoping that Sean Meninga has been saving his best stuff for this game here. Uh, And I'll say that Malik Taylor takes one back to the house on a kick return. Uh, Big B, let's hear your pulled prediction. Alan Lazard has a 100-yard game. Oh, I love it. Love to see it. Uh, I think Aaron Jones is going to get a lot of involvement, but also uh, Alan Lazard might be uh, very important in this game with Devontae Adams on Jalen Ramsey. With that, we're going to end it off here. Make sure you tune in to our live stream tomorrow at 10 a.m. We'll be joined by Matt Ramage later in the show to preview, uh, mostly just getting hyped. So we won't have super statistical uh, analytics, but we'll be getting you hyped. Thanks, Andy, for joining us today. You bet. I think we can obviously all agree that, you know, Pack-A-Day is better than Locked On Packers pocket. I think we can all agree with that, too. Uh, I mean, I think so. I mean, uh, Pack-A-Day, they don't have mid-rolls. So, I mean, that's that's the best thing about it. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for watching. Go Pack Go!